This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay. We're on Parshat Zosabrocha. I am going to tell you to begin with, I am going to have to fly through this. I left off of this sheet. This is six pages over here. I left at least two pages on the cutting floor. There's no way I'm going to be able to finish all of it. So I'm going to do everything I can right now to make sure that we have everything down. But just know this Pusik is absolutely huge. It says, They buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite base Pa'or. Baal Pa'or, you'll remember, that's the idol that everybody used to go to the bathroom in front of, etc. No one knew his burial place. Even until today, no one knows where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried. No one has any idea where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried. So number one, who buried Moshe Rabbeinu? So Rashi brings down two opinions. And so to Yudalim Nalaf, the Gemara says Moshe was buried by a Kaddish Baruch himself since he took the time off to be able to bury Yosef's bones. He actually did not bury them. He took Yosef's bones out of Mitzrayim, brought them with him throughout the Midbor, even though he didn't get to finish it because he didn't go to Eretz Yisrael. Nonetheless, he did all that. Therefore, a Kaddish Baruch you took care of Yosef, I'm going to take care of you. So Hashem did it. But Rashi brings another opinion from Rabbi Yishmael that Moshe buried himself. He says, this is one of three times where the word S, it says, Vayikbor Oso, S over here means he did it himself. And he brings the other two examples over there, but Vayikbor Oso is almost like it says, Vayikbor Ito. He himself buried himself. He took care of himself. How do we know that first opinion, the one that HaKadosh Baruch Hu buried Moshe Rabbeinu? So there's three opinions. We're skipping the Rabbeinu Ephraim because it makes no sense to me. He has a word there that we don't have. The, the Sifz Kalmim says it comes from the previous Pasuk. The previous Pasuk said that Moshe Rabbeinu died al-pi Hashem, through the mouth of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this Pasuk starts, Vayik Borosovagai, that he was buried in a valley. Al-pi Hashem, Vayik Borosovagai, the connection, says the Sifz Kalmim, is that it must have been through HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one that buried him. It's Al-pi Hashem, Vayik Borosovagai. Rabbeinu B'chaya learns out from the word big guy. It's spelled without the Aleph. Bez Gimel Yod is the gematria of 15, the same as Yud K, to hint that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was the one that did it. And he says, says Rabbeinu B'chaya, the truth is, every Talmud Chacham has this schus. If you're a Talmud Chacham, you are buried by HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself, so to speak, and not by anybody else. In other words, you don't die from the Malachim Avis, based on the Gemara and Bavavastar, Tess Zayin Amabez, Yud Zayin Amabez. He says he learns it out from a Pasuk in Yeshaya, but the hint is right over here by the word Begai. Tosefis Bracha, this is Reb Epstein, Baruch Epstein, who wrote the Torah to me, and says that Moshe Rabbeinu had his body taken care of by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, while other Tzadikim have their souls taken care of by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because it's clear Sadiqim, when they die, the Chevra Kedisha takes care of them. That's not a Shiloh whatsoever. There's no way that a body is ever buried on its own. So it must be that a Kaddish Baruch Hu took care of Moshe Rabbeinu's body, but every other Tzadik is taken care of by, by, by normal people, and their souls are taken care of by a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Or maybe, in a way, maybe a Kaddish Baruch Hu does everything in Eretz Yisrael. And Moshe Rabbeinu is in Chutzlaret, and he's the only Talmud Chacham to die al-pi Hashem in Chutzlaret, which is questionable, but that's a possibility. How did this happen? So the Rabbeinu B'chaya says something crazy. He says that Kodesh Baruch Hu opened up the ground in the cave that he was in, this cave that was on the mountain that we don't know, we're not sure exactly where it is, but this mountain that is described over here in the valley of the land by the mountain that he had climbed in order to see Eretz Yisrael. And it says he was opened up the ground, was B'derech Nes. Moshe Rabbeinu walked in, the ground covered him up afterwards. He says that it's possible it was through the nefesh. I don't understand what he means by that. He says that were co- he was covered by the 13 chuppos 
that the tzaddikim have when they get to Gan Eden, which is definitely a Kabbalistic concept, to be able to have 13 chuppahs when a guy gets to Gan Eden, whatever that means. He brings an example from Hashem Bayochai that was sitting on 13 chairs or 13 pillows when Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi died in Ksuvis Davayin Zayin Mabez, and he says, see, that's a rye over here. We have no idea what he means by that. But somehow, this happened, and that's where he was. Now, the Ibn Ezra, like he usually does, goes with this second shot of Rashi, which is more according to the shot of the Pasuk. It's not that God buried Moshe, it's that Moshe buried himself. He went into the cave and was buried. Now, it's a little bit strange, because that's not how you bury yourself. I don't know if anybody here has ever tried to bury themselves before, but if you have, walking into a cave doesn't do it. If you've walked into a cave, you haven't buried yourself. So how does that work? And that he was able to do such a thing. That's how the Yelisha Shakar asked. The Sforno says his Nafsho Hanivdelis took care of this, which essentially, I, I, I'm you know, just saying this because it sounds like this is true. After Moshe Rabbeinu was clinically dead, his body kept moving from the Nefesh that moved it even after he was already essentially dead. He would have been declared dead by a doctor. His nephesh allowed him to move into such an area where he was going from one to the other. And he says, that's the answer, how Moshe Rabbeinu went up a mountain to overlook Eretz Yisrael, and he's buried in a valley. But he never went down the mountain. He didn't move. How did that happen? How does a person go from one to the other? And the answer must be this. There's no choice. It must be that somehow his nephesh, Hanivdelis, took his body and brought it from one place to the other. The Ibn Ezra has a whole answer that all these mountains and valleys are connected to each other. Like a huge mountain can technically have a valley as part of the mountain itself. But it's strange, and this is right there. We'll see in the end. There's something really strange about being buried in a valley when he didn't go down to a valley. That's clearly up in the air and takes a lot of work to understand what exactly does that mean. Those Nayim Torah quotes the Ad Moshe on the Medrash, and he says this is how it happened. He went into the kever that was prepared for him on his own. He went himself, died while in that kever, and then an earthquake came. Something happened that allowed the ground to cover him up. And that's a Kaddish Baruch Hu burying him while he buried himself. So everybody it? It's like a combination of the two pshatim. It's sort of like he went in for something that a Kaddish Baruch Hu had already prepared. He did it himself. He put himself in the ground. But the burial of him happened by a Kaddish Baruch Hu going through as a timeout. There is an Arabic medrash. It's quoted by the Otsar Medrashim, by Eisenstein, and it's in the Otsar HaMedrashim. If you've seen the Otsar Medrashim, he's got hundreds of medrashim in there. He brings down, this is an Arabic medrash. It was not a Jewish medrash. There are Christian medrashim, there are Jewish medrashim, there are Arabic medrashim as well. This medrash says that when Moshe Rabbeinu was walking, he saw four people digging a hole. And he went up to them and said, can I help you? And they said, of course. And they took a shovel with them and they started digging. And they dug, and eventually he found himself in this big hole. And he said to them, what are you doing? And they said, we're, built, we're digging a grave. He said, for whom? And they said, for you. And then they started shoveling dirt into the grave. And there were four malachim that dug a grave for Moshe Rabbeinu, and that's how Moshe Rabbeinu was buried. An unbelievable medrash. It's also, though, based on this combination machlokas. Was it a Kaddish Baruch Hu, meaning the Malachim that buried him, or was Moshe Rabbeinu digging his own grave? This is their answer to answer this question, how it works. Unbelievable, right? But that, that's what the Medrash says. 
the briskarov. Oh, and he says as well, it's Mida Kenegan Mida. Moshe Rabbeinu has to bring back those who died at the Dora Midbor, the people who died from the Maraglim, in Tchias Amesim. He's going to bring them back with him when he comes back to Eretzol by Tchias Amesim. So he has to die like them. The people, anybody knows this Gemara from Baba Basra, it's toward Yeshnochel and toward the very end, right? It, I, I, I can't remember exactly where. Probably around Kufchavvav. Kufchavvav, Kufchav Zayin, right around there. And it says there that each year on Tishvav they would dig a grave and all the people who sinned by the Maraglim would go down into that grave. And if they woke up the next morning, then they lived for another year. And if not, then they died. And then that was covered up. If you remember, the last year they went down there, 15,000, the last of the Maraglim, didn't die. And they went to Moshe Rabbein and they said, what do we, what do, we do? And Tuba of, the 15th of Av, became a Chag because they didn't die. So they did that one after the other. It seems, says the Oznayim Latorah, this is all Midi Kenegamido. Moshe Rabbeinu did the exact same thing. He a grave was dug, he went inside, and he didn't wake up. And that's the exact same thing that happened to the Maraglam. He says that's the connection between the two, based on that. The Briskarov suggests two opinions. Oh, he says we're here, it's Babasar Ayin Dalit. I don't remember. I don't know. I, I thought it was a little bit later. The Briskarov suggested the two opinions of whether Hashem buried him, or if he buried himself, is actually dependent on another Machlokas, did Moshe Rabbeinu know the place that he was going to be buried or not? If Moshe Rabbeinu knew where he was going to be buried, then he could bury himself. And if he didn't know, then a Kodesh Baruch to bury him. He says that's based on the Sifri, and it's all Machlokis Tanoim about Moshe Rabbeinu himself. Skipping down. The Gemara tells us on Sotov that Yud Dalim Nal that the Torah starts with Chesed and it ends with Chesed. It starts with Chesed. Who knows? How does the Torah start with Chesed? How does it start with Chesed? Obviously, Barish is Baralokim, but what's the first Chesed that we see in the Torah? Kaddish Baruch Hu giving Adam and Chava clothing. Interesting, right? I would have said, like, giving them all of Gan Eden. <laughs> but the Gemara suggests because he gave them clothing. And at the end, Hashem buries Moshe Rabbeinu. It shows us that we have to give food or clothing to the poor, and we have to bury the dead. Those are the two acts of Chesed that a person should do. Targum Yonasim Nazil gives a ton others, visiting the sick and obviously making weddings, etc. And he goes through everything that's out there. And Targum Yonasim says all those things are learned out from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He then says at the end that there were Malachim that helped in the burial of Moshe Rabbeinu. He quotes them over here. They're on the sheet itself. But the Ksav Sofer asks why the Gemara has to tell us something that's so obvious isn't this something that anybody here could have told me? You have to do chesed, because that's the right thing to do. I mean, and we know that even though the Torah doesn't command us specifically, go do chesed. This is throughout the Torah. We, we have Avram Avinu with the Malachim to prove that to us. We have things that Moshe Rabbeinu did for Kalal Yisrael that prove that to us. We need HaKadosh Baruch who's starting and ending the Torah with chesed to prove that we're supposed to do chesed. Says the Ksav Sofer. He says, we all know that you're supposed to bless HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the good things that happen to you, and also for the bad things that happen to you. Yeah, we make a Baruch HaTovah when great things happen. Right? If a child is born, of course you make a Baruch out loud, you think HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the skies, like this is the greatest thing. And there's no question, if you buy something that you really, really like, some say even a suit, maybe a car, you'd make a Shachianu or a Tovah depending if other people are using it, there's no question. But there's a bracha to make, and it's just as important when bad things happen. It's unfortunate that when you make the bracha of Hatova Metiv, even if you just say Baruch, I'm sorry, of Dina Emes, you say Baruch Dina Emes, people think you're talking about somebody that died. 
But the truth is, that bracha, Baruch Dain Amis, can be said for anything bad that happens. If you get a flat tire, you can say Baruch Dain Amis, and it's not because the tire died. You're saying it because it's a bad thing that happened. He's a Diana Emmis. He's the true judge that judged me correctly. So yes, it looks horrible right now, but I'm supposed to bless HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the right thing to do. Says the Ksav Sofer. This shows it to us. Meaning, in the beginning, Adam and Chava got clothing from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's something great. That's something good. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them clothing so they can make that bracha properly of Atov Amitiv, Shachianu, etc., but there's also something that, so to speak, is bad. So to speak, there's something bad that happens. HaKadosh Baruch Hu killed Moshe Rabbeinu, allowed Moshe Rabbeinu to die is probably a better form of saying it, something like that. You think that's terrible. He didn't get to Eretz Yisrael. He's not even buried in Eretz Yisrael. That's horrible. But even in that, you're supposed to bless HaKadosh Baruch Hu equally as great. And say, Baruch HaTashem Elokeinu HaChalom HaTov HaMetiv, Baruch HaTashem Elokeinu HaChalom, Dayana Emes. And if we could, I, I, again, it's very easy to say when you're not the one being affected. Like somebody else has their car breakdown, so you're like, oh, you should say Diana Emmis with a smile on your face. It's really good. When it happens to you, <laughs> then you're just like, stop talking to me. Don't talk to me. I don't want to hear that from you. And I realize that. I completely understand that. But the Ksav Silver says that's the lesson behind why the Torah starts with chesed and ends with chesed. A great chesed in the beginning and a chesed that's unfortunate at the end. But both of them are equally important to know that we're supposed to bless HaKadosh Baruch for it. That's the idea. Now Rashi also tells us that this kever of Moshe and it was prepared from the Sheshis Yamei Bereshis. That it was created during the first six days of crea- creation. Erev Bena Shmashos, right before Shabbos. In fact, one might say even after, it's that time period between Shkia, sunset, and Tzitzikol Chavim. Now, as a timeout, there's a lot of confusion about what happens when it comes to sunset nowadays. We hold, in America, this is our minhag, that we start Shabbos at Shkia. That is our time. Now, technically, that is a massive machlokas. The Rabbeinu Tam of Tosvos fame, holds that Shabbos does not start until Tzesa Kochavim, right, which is 72 minutes after sunset, 72 minutes after the beginning sunset. He calls Shkia a totally different thing, and his Bena Shmashos is a little bit closer to the truth. It's the reason why there are Hasidim that are still around today that still hold by Rabbeinu Tam, not just when Shabbos goes out, but they hold this way when Shabbos goes in. That's why they daven Mincha a little bit later. Lechat Chila. They're fine with it because it's not nighttime at Shkia. It's not officially nighttime yet, not until today's. And it was back in the day. They used to close up shops at sunset, at Shkia, at what we call Shkia, we call sunset. And they used to go all the way. They used to go to the mikvah and then daven Mincha maybe like 15 minutes before Tseisa Kochavim. And keep Shabbos at Seisa Kochavim. Ben Hashmashos was that time period in between there. It's Machlokas Rabbi Yudu Rabbi Yossi if it's a second or if it's 15 minutes. But either way, that's a Ben Hashmashos time. Now, we have all these Machlokas going on. Our Ben Hashmashos is this weird time period between Shkia, what we call Shkia, sunset, at whatever the sun lowers beyond the horizon, until, give or take, 42 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes, 72 minutes, 90 minutes, whatever you call, until Tzesa Kochavim. That Bena Shmashos is like that in-between time. But the truth is, that's not really Bena Shmashos. It's based on a lot of different factors that are there. And the time period is, without a question, a suffix. Arab Shabbos, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sitting there, it's Friday, right? And Shabbos is about to start during this time period called Bena Shmashos, which is a suffix. We don't know if it's day, we don't know if it's night. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created a bunch of things. One of them, everybody knows, Shadim. 
demons were created at that time period. Right? And one of the other things, you know all the, there's a bunch of, you remember them from the Gemara Mstachem, the mouth of Bilaam's donkey, the mouth of the land that swallowed up all the people, right? And the opening of the cave of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu's cave was created Erev Shabbos Bein Hashmashos, says the Gemara to be Machaper, and Rashi says it to be Machaper for Maisa Peor, for what happened with Peor. Maskeladavid, Chanukah Zatora, Shnei Oros, and the Maral Diskin. And I found this in six other Svarim. Okay, six others from aside from these four, ask the following question. How is he allowed to be buried opposite Avodazara? You're not even allowed to use Avodazara as like a, a, a mark. You know, in the, when you get to the church, make a left. You're not allowed to do that because you can't make a house of Avodazara into something which is a landmark, something that's important. So how could they say that he's buried opposite Balpur as if that's a landmark? How could they do that? They all quote the Gemara in Avodazar, Memdal and Abes, where uh, this guy named Procolis, he was a min in Apikoris, something was off. He asked Rabbi Gamliel, how, how are you, Rabbi Gamliel, allowed to bathe in a bathhouse that had a statue of Aphrodite right at the front? Aphrodite was Venus, you know, the, the Venus, Venusian the goddess, you know, the goddess of love, goddess of, of, of mercy, etc. How could you bathe in that bathhouse when it has that up there? And Rabbi Gamliel said, my bathhouse didn't come into her property, into her territory. She came into our territory. In other words, this bathhouse existed already, and then the Romans or the Greeks, whichever one it was, put up this statue of Aphrodite of Venus and put it up there for us to worship as we go in. I have no shaykhis to that. I go to the bathhouse because this is my bathhouse. Therefore, she came into my territory. I didn't come into her territory, and therefore we mattered. And that, the truth is, if you're not worshiping it, it has nothing to do with worship, right, then you are allowed to do that. If, you know, somebody would put, like, right outside of our shoal and stand a statue right there, and he'd stand it right there, and we couldn't take it down by law, we weren't allowed to take it down, you could still go to the shoal and daven in the shoal. And the reason why is because the shoal was here. That guy, who cares what they put out there? I'm not worshiping it as I go by. I'm probably going to slap it in the face as I go by, as long as that's not the Avodah Shabbat. It should be perfectly fine. But I'm not going to do anything with it. What does that have to do with my shoal? I have nothing to do with it. And that's what he was saying about Aphrodite together with the bathhouse. So they all say the exact same thing over here. Moshe Rabbeinu was there first. His kever was created Erev Shabbos Bein Hashmashos. So he was there first. Then Balpaor got there. Balpaor was only afterward. That's why he was able to be buried there. And if you'll say, but why would Hashem set up a place for Moshe to be buried, which he knew in the end would be opposite Balpaor? Why would he have done that? And the answer is, to be machaper al Balpaor to be mechaper for what Baal Pa'or was. And that's the idea. They all say the exact same thing. The listen this revulsion from Munisi Techa. It's in Parshas Vatschan on page 220. He says, how can we say that Moshe Rabbeinu died because he hit the rock? His kever was already set up from the beginning of creation. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, on the sixth day of creation, looked ahead and said, I have to make a kever for Moshe Rabbeinu. I have to make a kever for Moshe Rabbeinu. So he set it up already. So later on, Moshe Rabbeinu sinned with May Mariva. So Kaddish Baruch said, that's it, you got to die. He was going to die anyway. The kever was already there. And not only was the kever there, the kever was outside of Eretz Yisrael already. Hashem knew exactly what was going to happen. How can we blame Moshe Rabbeinu for May Mariva? It's almost like Kaddish Baruch was looking for an excuse, found May Mariva, and was like, perfect, perfect, that's it, that's it. Now he can die. How could that be? Yeah. So I have a question. Why is it that, you know, like Yosef, because Moshe Rabbeinu was told to die by this valley in this area. That's the only reason why. 
he would have been. It's Moshe, Aaron, and we don't know about Miriam. But it seems Miriam were not buried in her soul and their bones could not be taken in because they were told not to. Which is strange in of itself. There's a Chassam Silver that talks about this in Parshish Chukas, but it's a strange thing altogether. Question number two. Why did a Baruch Hu do a Benesh Mashos? I, I know I brought that up before, but why was Hashem waiting, so to speak, for a suffix time, and then all of a sudden said, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do it now. What in the world was happening? Why would a Baruch Hu have done that? Why wouldn't a Kaddish Baruch Hu have set up a time, 12 p.m., Right? And just say, like, all right, I got a kever from Moshe Rabbeinu, make it over there. What's with this idea of creating something Benash Mashos? So Wolfson says this, I, I've never seen it anywhere else. This is his Kiddush, and it's a brilliant Kiddush, an absolute brilliant, it doesn't need my Haskama, but this is an absolute brilliant Kiddush. He says the concept of a Suffolk is we don't know if it exists or not. Let's think for a second. If Benash Mashos is really Shabbos, which is what we hold, we're Machmir, right? We hold this Shabbos. Then it was already Shabbos, right, at Bein Hashmashos, which means Hashem couldn't create them. Because it's already Shabbos, and Hashem didn't create anything on Shabbos. Can't bury Shabbos well, the, but the burial is much later, right? But the creation of the place could not be made because it's Shabbos. If it's daytime, if it's daytime, then it could be created. So isn't that weird? It, it's a suffix in time, and if you hold Bein Hashmashos is nighttime, if you hold that way, then it never happened. It was never created. There was no such thing. But if it was during the daytime, then it happened, and there is such a thing. Here's the craziness. We know that Chazal have the ability to paskin halachos. And with that halacha, you can create a reality that did not exist a second earlier. We create, literally, a rub, a, a rabbi that has that ability, can create a new mitzias that didn't exist earlier. A girl under the age of three has no concept. I'm not going to explain this. You, just, you get it, you get it. Has no concept of besulin. A girl over the age of three has a concept of besulin. If a girl has something happen to her when she's already three, she turned three on the 10th of Adar, and she has something happen to her on the 12th of Adar, she's no longer a besula. But if they make an Adar Bez, if Chazal get together and say, we're going to make an Adar Bez, then she didn't turn three. She didn't turn three on the 10th of Adar. She turns three on the 10th of Adar Shani, which means Lima Freya, retroactively, she's a Basula. They literally created, they took a non-Basula and created her into a Basula. You can do that. Chazal have the ability to do that. They can, they can create Yamim Tovim. Without Hillel Katan setting up our system already, we would not have Roshana Yom Kippur Sukkis. It doesn't exist. A Mekadish Yisroel Vahazmanim. We make the Zmanim, not Shabbos. Shabbos happens under those. Kaviyah Vakaima. But we make Yom Tov. Without us, there is no Yom Tif. If based in one day is just a bunch of lazy bums, they're sitting there, Chas Vashalom, they're sitting there like, you know what? We're not making, we're not making Yom Tif this week. We're not going to do it. We're just not in the mood to make Yom Tif this week. We're not going to, no Rosh Chodesh, no Rosh Chodesh. There is no Yom Tif. You can't make Pesach. There's no Pesach until they declare a Rosh Chodesh. They don't declare a Rosh Chodesh. There is nothing. There's absolutely nothing. Even if they make a mistake, it's Chal. We learned that from the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah. Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Gamliel, right? With that whole story, Rabbi Gamliel made Rabbi Yoshua walk to a man, Yom Kippur, that fell, fell out according to his cheshman. Rabbi Gamliel said, even if I make a... Or Rabbi Kiva told him, even if he made a mistake, it doesn't make a difference. It happened. The Basin can create a new reality. This is Yom Kippur. You don't like it? It doesn't matter. You, they created it. They made it into this. Says Wolfson, if you paskin that Bein Hashmashos is daytime, if you paskin that way, then you created a reality where Moshe Rabbeinu has to die. If you paskin that Ben Hashmashos is night, 
then you created a reality where Moshe Rabbeinu did not have to die because the cover was never created. <laughs> Is that unbelievable? And that can change from generation to generation. If right now all the great postkim of our generation got together and said, Bena Shmashos is daytime, then they essentially created a kever of Moshe Rabbeinu, so Moshe Rabbeinu died. But if a next generation gets up and says, no, Bena Shmashos is nighttime, it's not a suffix anymore, it's halachically night, then Moshe Rabbeinu never died. Now do you get the idea why it's so strange? The Gemara says, Vayamas Sham Moshe, Moshe died, right? And the Gemara has the audacity to say, Moshe never died. He's Omidu Mashamish Bamarum. It's Kamar and Sota. You'd give him all out. He's standing and he's serving in the heavens above. Because it depends how you paskin. It depends. It totally depends. If we paskin Benesh Moshe's his night, he's not dead. There's no kever. There's no kever. Not only that, by the way. What else didn't happen? The talking donkey from Bilam never happened. If it happened at night, that w- then it wasn't created. You know what else didn't happen? Shade him. Isn't it unbelievable? You know, the people who like swear by the Rambam. And the Rambam says Shadim never existed. They just, they don't exist. They don't exist. There's no such thing. Well, other people are like, what are you talking? We have Gemaras, straight out Gemaras. Check out the Grun, Kufayin Tes Yud Gimel in Yoridea, what he says about the Rambam and his philosophy, etc. But if you paskin that Benash Mashos is night, then there's no such thing as Shadim. Shadim don't exist because he never created them. They were never created. It was already nighttime. It's the craziest thing in the world. Laosid Lavo. We're going to see that Moshe Rabbeinu never died. Because someone who's a lot greater than anybody that we know is going to get up and say, Banish Moshe's is night, which means Moshe Rabbeinu never died. So it never happened. And Moshe Rabbeinu was standing there, and he's like, you're right, here I am. It's unreal. It's such a crazy concept. And I'm taking it a little bit further, but he says that, and that's the famous idea that, what did Moshe Rabbeinu say to the Bnei Korach? What did he tell the Bnei Korach? He said, Imbriya Yivra Hashem, if a Baruch who creates a brand new hole on the ground. When was that hole on the ground made? Erev Shabbos, Ben Hashmashos. But that means if it existed, if he allowed it to be, that means he holds that Ben Hashmashos is daytime. And that's why they were swallowed up by the earth. But if it's daytime, then Moshe Rabbeinu's kever was also created. And that's why he had to die. And that's the whole concept, the connection between the two. Because he said to Bnei Korach, Rav Lachem Bnei Levi, calm down guys, you're all going to die. Rav Lachem Bnei Levi, HaKadosh Baruch had to say to Moshe Rabbeinu, Rav Lachem, Rav Lach, you're going to have to die as well. The same Rav is used over there. It's an unreal concept. And I know that's really, really difficult. I'll let you go over it again. Surah Amor says something as well. He says it should make absolutely no sense for a person like Moshe Rabbeinu to die when there are so many people who didn't. Yaakov Avinu Lomais is a Gemara in, in uh, Tainus, Tafeyom Abeis. Eliyahu Anavi, we don't, we don't, that's a Pasuk. Eliyahu Anavi never died. Chanoch, Ve'inenu, Ki Lokach Osoelokim, he never died. He didn't say Vayamas, he never died. There's others that are mentioned in Derech Eretz Zuta, at the end of the first parak. Some people that we've never even heard of. Yaivitz, the son of Rabbi Yehuda Anasi. Nobody's ever heard of him. You know why you never heard of him? Because the only place that he's mentioned is in Derech Eretz Zuta, Perak Aleph, at the very, very end, and it says he, he never died. That's it. We have no other mention of this guy. There's so many people that are like that. It's, it's unbelievable. We have absolutely no clue. So how is it possible that Moshe Rabbeinu died if none of them? So it must be, it was a decree from above that had to happen no matter what, because otherwise this doesn't make any sense. Since he died without any obvious reason, says the Torah more, that's why his kever is mentioned without any other ideas behind it. We don't know where it is. We don't have any clue. We don't have anything behind it. All we know is that a Kaddish Baruch who wanted it to happen. And then he says even further, and again, I, I will tell you, look this up yourself, but he says, unbelievably, that Moshe Rabbeinu was a Malach. 
I don't know if he means that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he came down from Har Sinai after the 120 days, he had the status of a Malach. I don't know what he means, but he said he was a Malach sent to us from the beginning of the world, and he was really not supposed to die. His death was only the understanding that he was no longer going to be a part of it. I have no idea what it means by that. I, this is a Tzorah Mor. This is a early Akron, late Rishon, I guess, in a way, that says this. It's, it sounds a little bit apikorsi. That's not a word, but something that if I would say it, then you'd say, like, well, <laughs> what? <laughs> and since he says it, I'm quoting it from there. Okay, next, Sota. Yudal Amidal says, even though the Torah gave us Simonim where he's buried, three Simonim, it tells us, big guy, he was in that valley, but our Eretz Moab in the land of Moab, Moab base poor, opposite base poor, and we know, or we don't, but they knew where base poor was back then. They know where that mountain was. Nevertheless, no one has any idea where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried. In fact, the Gemara says that the Romans, the Malchus HaRashah, the evil kingdom, sent an expedition to go find the Kever of Moshe Rabbeinu. Who knows what they wanted there? But they sent an expedition to go find it. And when they went to Base Poor, they said, where is it? They pointed at it. They could say it's right across from us. Which, by the way, sounds like it's on a mountain, not in a valley. But I don't know what that means. Again, we have such sveikos and what that means. Either way, they pointed at it. When they went to it, they, when they were down, it felt like it was above them. When they were above, it looked like it was below them. And they could not figure out where it was, and therefore, lo Nobody knows where he's buried up until today. The Ksav so- Rabbeinu Yosef Nechemia, this is one of the relatives of the Ksam Sofer, that means the Tachtonim, the lowly people among them, assumed that Moshe was in the heavens, doesn't care about what's happening to the Jews today. And the Alyonim, the Choshev ones among them, thought that he's still down here and that his influence is still with us today, so to speak, that Moshe's Torah is still with us and therefore we're still involved in some way, shape, or form. That's the reason why Haman made his mistake. Haman thought that he died on Zion other, so therefore he could do something to Klal Yisrael, not realizing that his power is still with us even today, that his influence is still with us even today. And the Balatorim says, even Moshe Rabbeinu himself does have, has no idea where he's buried. And that's why the guy in the valley is missing an hour. Because only the Alufo Sho'olam, only HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the only one that knows where it is. The Gemara understands this because our Pusik uses the word Ish. And Moshe Rabbeinu is known as an Ish in Lama Gimal. So no Ish knows where he's buried. Even Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't know where he's buried. The Rabbeinu Bechaya says this as well. The same idea as the Balaturim over there. The Rechaim Paltiel says the Rashi Tevis and Soviet Tevis of the words Yoda Ish is Yod Ayin Aleph Shin, the same as Hoshea. He davened, he wanted to know where his Rebbe Moshe Rebbe was buried, and even he, even Yoshua, was not allowed to know where it was. There's a Tzedah Lederach that brings down from the Abarbanel three reasons why we don't know where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried. And some of them are kind of obvious. Number one, I, 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 you can take this as absolutely obvious. The Shemana Mishcha is no longer here because it doesn't want to be abused by the people that oil, that never, that always is everlasting. It's not with us anymore because we know that people would abuse it. The Aron Kodesh is not with us anymore because it would be taken. It, if you've ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you understand. Like, it would just be placed in a government office somewhere and it, it would have no shaykhist to anybody and it wouldn't be there. So the Aron was taken away from us. The Shemana Mishcha, I'm sorry? You know what's interesting? The, well, there's no way it's in the Vatican because it was taken away by the first base of Mictus. The Romans didn't exist yet. Like, there's no way it's there. But the question is, what was there? The menorah. We see, you know, the Arch of Titus has him carrying the menorah out there. Shockingly, the Seda Barbanel says the menorah was never taken by anybody else. It was hidden beforehand. I never would have known that. If somebody would have asked me, I would have said to you for sure the menorah was taken by the Romans and it's in Rome. That's what I would have thought. He says the menorah was never taken. What they took 
What Titus had in his hands when he came to Rome, I have absolutely no idea. But they never took the menorah. That, that, that's absolutely unbelievable. And he says the following. He says, I'm going to say this a little quieter and you'll understand why in a second. He said, we see that Maris Machpelah was taken by our enemies. Maris Machpelah was taken by our enemies. We're Machshavit. We were Choshavit. HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed it to exist. So they took it. Kever Yosef in Shechem, taken. Makom HaMikdash, the Makom, was taken. <laughs> Anything that we considered holy that wasn't taken away from us and hidden was taken by our enemies. What else do we have left? Uh, that's the reason why. Says the Abarbanel, that's that. Rav Hirsch says even more so. He says, when one considers how often a cult of worship, I'm quoting, by the way, how, when one considers how often a cult of worship verging in idolatry has grown around the places of great men who have deserved great honor amongst mankind, one can understand the greatness of this last phrase in the picture of the life of Moshe Rabbeinu. No one knows where he's buried. It's that no one would make a shrine to him and consider him a god. That's the reason why. Because that's the ultimate slap in the face. His whole life, he tried to be Justin Eved and show that it's all HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's all HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not even putting Moshe's name in the Haggadah for that reason. And yet, if he was alive, we know there would be people who would attribute greatness to him even after his death and say it's all him. Maybe even Chassan considering him a god. I don't know how it's possible for a person to make a mistake like that. But we see it's happened in our recent history with some fringe sect of the Lubavitchers thinking that the Lubavitcher Rebbe is a god. How, how is that shy? How is it possible? Just the dumbest thing in the world, and yet nonetheless it's happened. And we see a couple billion people feel that way also about a different religion. We see this concept, yeah. It's not so crazy because most theoretically could have been the Mashiach. No, there is. And the Mashiach has a whole thing on how he had to, etc. But the Abarbanel says that's why it had to happen. It's just, it's crazy. Number two, the second reason is because when others die, their bodies rot. And that's obvious, right? Moshe Rabbeinu's, it's a design to the body, etc. Moshe's kever was never going to rot. People walk on top of graves and you go to a cemetery. You're not mockbit about where to walk. We're not. We're just, we don't walk on top of the gravestones. We, we're not mockbit where the body is. I, I doubt we even realize if the body's behind or in front, right? We, we don't even realize. We walk wherever it is. That would be a bizarre to Moshe Rabbeinu's body, where his body is completely and fully intact. He's not bones, he's not rotted, etc. I'm sorry? No. No, 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 there's nothing, you can. You're allowed, you're allowed to walk because of this. It's not a bizarre because it's just bones in the dirt, etc. So therefore, you're allowed to do it. Maybe within the first year, you stay away from it, but by that, it's, the grass didn't grow over it yet, so you know where the body is. But you're allowed to, you're allowed to. That cannot happen for that. And the third reason, because in his lifetime, Moshe Rabbeinu was simply put, not like anybody else. People were afraid to approach him. They were afraid to go near him. They were afraid to say anything to him. So therefore, Mida Kenegin Mida, at the end of his life, everybody was afraid to go anywhere near him. Nobody wanted to go anywhere near him. They didn't know where his death was. The Gemara gives a fourth reason. It says, when the base of Mikdash was destroyed and the Jews were exiled from the land, had the people gone to Moshe Rabbeinu's grave and davened, they would have been answered. Now, it's funny because we all know the famous Rachel Mevaka Albaneha that they passed by Kever Rachel on the way out, and they davened for Rachel, and Rachel, I mean, who davened for us, that she should have mercy. I've never understood the Medrash, because the way to take people, people to bubble would not be down south by Kever Rachel, it would have been to go north, right? That would be the normal way to go. How they passed Kever Rachel on the way out of Yerushalayim, I have absolutely no idea. But maybe they were taking people from Be'er Sheva, and they passed by Kever Rachel on the way out, and Rachel, I mean, who davened. Had they done that by Moshe Rabbeinu's Kever, had they done that there then Moshe Rabbeinu would answer them. They never would have gone into Gullus. There would have been no Gullus bubble. 
the Beis Hamikdash would have immediately come back. That's how powerful Moshe Rabbeinu is, and that's the reason why we weren't allowed to do it. Tam Vidas, where Strombach says, only Moshe Rabbeinu knocked out the greatest Gezerah, t- anything against Kalah Yisrael, the Egel Azov. He was able to get rid of it completely and come up with a concept of Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum V'chanun. If he did it then, he can do it again. And he would have done it by the Beis Hamikdash, by the first, by the second. There would have been no, construct- no destruction. Even greater than all three of them. And we see it from the Medrash. We see it from the Medrash that HaKadosh Baruch went to Avram Yitzhak and then to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu had something. And that's that. And I even wrote over here, not even the Avos HaKadoshim, HaKadoshim. Moshe Rabbeinu's mysterious nefesh for Klal Yisrael was unmatched by anybody else out there. There's Miam Lewis that says something about the ore of Moshe Rabbeinu, that his light shines through the kever, would blind anybody that went there, which is unbelievable. There's a sixth reason the Chizkuni says that anybody who would be buried next to Moshe Rabbeinu would immediately come back to life, like what happened in Melachim Beis, when the Navian Basel, the fake Navian Basel, was buried next to Elisha, he was brought back to life afterward so that he wouldn't have to be buried next to Elisha, so we don't know where Moshe Rabbeinu is buried, so no one else would be buried anywhere near him, that would be out there, and number seventh, another one, <laughs> it's an unbelievable one, there are three answers to this, and I'm not going to go into it, but because Moshe Rabbeinu was lazy, this is the wording of the Medrash, and didn't kill Zimri, therefore he wasn't Zoha to, for anyone to know where he's buried. It's an unbelievable medrash. There's three explanations that I wrote down on the sheet if you want to see it. The Panini Kedem, the Ksav Sofer, and the Tosefis Bracha. All three of them give an answer for it, but we don't have time to go through it. There's, there's not much. I, I'm not going to be able to go through. Um, there is another. There's the Gan Rava, the Ksav Sofer, the Mesha Chachma, and the Kiel of the goes through the greatness of everything out there. And then there's also the Ben Yoyada and the Yaros Devash that says that Moshe Rabbeinu's existence was so holy he literally had a new physical existence that happened after he died, which we can't understand. He considers it almost like the Mun. It's a crazy idea, and the Chassam Sofer says it as well, that he was beyond the Malachim, that they could get up to the level of the Mun. Moshe Rabbeinu was beyond the Mun, and therefore could not be understood by anybody out there. But what I really wanted to end is something unbelievable. First, a story, the Ozer Chaim says it was a tzaddik who cried when he got to this Pasuk, that nobody knows where he's buried. So Chassid went up to him and he said, Rebbe, I don't understand. The Pusik before reads, Vayamas Shum Moshe Ever Hashem. That's where Moshe died. You should cry by the death. Why are you crying by this Pusik where it says nobody knows where he's buried? That's what he asked him. And he said, said Moshe Avinu died. That's something that's human. We expect that a human's going to die. But if his kever was around, I would daven by that kever. And now I can't. Now I can't. Do you know what we lost in not having that kever available to us? We don't have the kever available to us. We can go to Miron, to Reb Shem Bayochai. We can go to the Avos HaKadosh and Mars Machpelah. We can go to Kever Rachel. But we can't go to Moshe. That's why I'm crying. That's what I'm crying about. That's what he said. And I'm going to end with this, although it's a little bit interesting. Rechaim Paltiel, who's in late Risham, says, based on the Pasuk, you're going to lie down with your fathers. The Kama Omazet. And this nation will get up and they'll go after other idols. Says is the same gematria as Maoras Avosecha, the cave of your fathers. Why? Says Rukhain Paltiel. Some say there was a tunnel placed underneath Moshe Rabbeinu's kever, wherever it was, and it connected to Maoras Samachpela. And Moshe Rabbeinu is buried in Maoras Samachpela. So Rukhain Paltiel. Taima de Kro, Rukhain Knievsky brings it from the Sefer HaTemunah, written by Rabbi Nechunya ben Akana, the great Tana, 
And the Yalka Ruveni number 149 quotes it as in whole, saying there were five couples buried in Maris Machpelah. We know about Adam and Chava, Avram and, Avram and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rivka, Yaakov and Leah, that we know. Moshe and Tzipora are buried in Ma'ara Samachpelah. And Esau said, yeah, he doesn't quote that. Moshe was brought there by Malachim. The Miyam always quotes that Gavriel brought him there. And the word Begai in the valley is a mushal, not where he was buried. Isn't that unbelievable? And he says the ten represent the ten spheros, and he goes on, etc. The Be'er Basada says it's hinted in the Pusik. It says Be'eretz Moav. It wasn't in the land of Moav, the land Me'av of the Avos. He was buried with the Avos HaKadoshim, together with them. Hold on one second. The Chidah says, Tzipora was buried in Maros Mapel, together with Moshe Rabbeinu, like we just said, right? But the Zohar says, once Yaakov Avinu was buried there, there was no room to bury anybody else. You couldn't fit anybody else inside there. How could it be that they were there and they were able to go through? In fact, he says, the Neshamas that are Zoha passed by Maros Mapel on their way to Gan Eden, but nobody else could be buried there. There's also a Medrash that HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu, told Yermia to find Moshe to find Moshe and ask him to daven about the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. As we just said, Hashem didn't want anyone to know because then he would daven, etc. And Yirmiya said, I don't know where he's buried. Here's what Hashem said. Hashem said, stand on the bank of the Jordan River and call out Ben Amram and he'll answer. He'll answer you. I've never tried this. I will tell you, but I'm not Yirmiya. But he didn't say go to Maros Machpelah. Notice that. So the Chidah says, as a Kashi, he says, it doesn't say go to Maros Machpelah. So the Zohar, and this idea says the Chidah, I understand it. I would assume out. Out. West or east? Yeah, I would assume facing the east. Facing the east, so you can scream to the other side, because that's where he is. So the concern here is that there wasn't room in the Maros Machpelah. That's the Zohar. That's the problem. Yeah. Not the fact that somehow he got down through a tunnel... No, Gilgal Mechilos. We know that happens by Tzachias Mason. If you're buried outside no, of Eretz Yisrael, you're going to have Gilgal Mechilos. Yeah, we can't. I, I have no problem with that, but this is the We'll end with this, guys. Paradis Yosef says, because of this, there are those who go to Ma'ara Samach Pela on Zion Adar, on Moshe Rabbeinu's day of his Yorzeit. They go for Moshe Rabbeinu's Yorzeit. Rechaim Vital said he heard from the Arizal, who heard from his Rebbe, Rebbe Klonimus, who was his Makobal Rebbe, that Moshe was not allowed to be buried in Eretz because he married an Isha Kushis. And therefore you should not go, said Rebchaim Vital, to Ma'aras and Machpelah for Moshe Rabbeinu's Yortzit. Because even though he might be there, he's not really there. And therefore you shouldn't go there at that time. But I don't see what the problem is. You can go anyway. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. We have a little bit more. There's an amazing idea of what this has to do with Alpha Or, but we'll stop with this for right now. I don't know.